you all this morning. Um, it was great to be with David and Carol. And uh, it was this time, very time last year that I was here. And so it was a joy to be with you then. And it's a privilege to be with you here now as well. And uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning about moving into a new spiritual climate. We don't know what 2018 holds for any of us, do we? But we know that God is with us in every situation. One thing we do know is this, God has got no bad plans for your life. Turn to somebody and say, God has got no bad plans for your life. There is no bad plans for your life that God has got. None at all. And now, you know, the devil, the devil will have a few different, different plans. He will try and spoil. He's a, the Bible says he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And uh, he'll do all manner of things to mar the blessings of God. This is not to say that you and I won't face difficulties or, or, or problems or, or testings. Uh, but uh, God wants us to live in a, in a higher spiritual climate. Uh, the book that was mentioned earlier, I don't know whether I had it with me last year, it was only published about a year ago, so whether I had it last year, it's, when it says the best is yet to come, it's basically my story from when I was called as a, to, to be a pastor when I was only six, seven years of age. It was a, right through to the present time. Um, it was a remarkable moment. I was, um, I, could t- I, I would be about seven years of age. I'd only just given my life to Christ in a, a crusade meeting that my grandfather had had. And I was getting up in the morning, I was out of bed, and uh, the house we lived in had high ceilings, and above the, between the door and the ceiling, um, there was a, a big space. And as I got out of bed, I saw this vision of Jesus. It was, I knew immediately it was Jesus, I didn't see the face for more than a few seconds, and it began to sort of fade down to the feet. And I was more aware of the clothes that Jesus was wearing, which seemed to me as a boy, little boy, to be strange clothes. It just seemed so strange. And um, so I went downstairs. It wasn't scary. I went downstairs. My mother had the breakfast ready for me. And, uh, and uh, I said, Mom, I've just seen um, Jesus in the bedroom. And she said, instead of being sort of, oh, goodness me, you know, and getting into a whole state or something, she just simply said, what was he wearing? And I thought that was incredible. I remember at the time thinking that's a really amazing thing because it was what he was wearing that seemed strange to me. And I described what he was wearing, and I didn't know, but I was actually describing the high priestly garments of Jesus, uh, the, high, the, the garments of the high priest in the Old Testament, the bells and pomegranates at the bottom, you know, the whole the Bible describes them. And uh, I thought, I wonder why my mother said, why, what was he wearing? And she told me, well, what you've seen is the high priestly garments, of, um, the garments of the high priest in the Old Testament. And she said, the reason I asked you what he was wearing, John, is that your grandfather, that's her father, had the same vision when God called him in the ministry. And, and so I, met, I just assumed from that moment God had called me in the ministry at that moment. Uh, my grandfather was a president of Elam, pioneered 22 churches, and as you heard earlier, that many, many years later, many years after my grandfather had gone to heaven in 1977, then I became the uh, leader of Elam for 16 years. And so the best is yet to come is, although the book is about my story and the, the, the challenges and the blessings, we all, how many people know you get blessings but you get challenges? Oh, and some people only write books about their successes and their victories. I put the challenges in as well because challenge is part of our life. But God wants us to live in a season of expectancy. Uh, and there's a number of levels to take this word this morning. One is for your life as if no one was in the place. Uh, one is for if you're, if you're married, then uh, for your family. 
and then one is for the church. Because my, I'm going to end by praying a, a prayer of a blessing, uh, an absolute blessing over this church through the book of Isaiah before I finish. Is that okay with you? Yes. I want to pray something into your life. So, you know, sometimes we, when we preach, we can preach, well, this is what God wants for you. I hope you get into it. Um, and there'll be a bit of that this morning, but also at the end, there will be a proclamation over your life that God will do good things. Yes. All right? It's a declaration in the heavens that God will touch you where you are and bless you where you are. But right now, I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and we're looking at the incredible moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, I mean, just an amazing thing. I mean, we use PowerPoint and stuff these days sometimes, but I'm telling you, there's no visual aid ever been for any preacher like Moses and Elijah appearing next to Jesus while he was preaching. I mean, that beats everything, doesn't it? And this is, I, I, there's a reason why I want to read this and introduce the word today. It says in Luke 9, verse 28 to 33, that he said, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became, excuse me, his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So that is something that is really powerful. You're seeing something that's never been seen before. They're seeing something never, they're seeing outside of themselves the glory of God. Okay, how many people want to know the glory of God in their life? Okay, well, it, they're seeing it externally. We see how important that is in a minute. As he was praying, his appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. There's the word glory again, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Um, Peter and his companion were very sleepy, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. How can you be in a meeting like that, in a moment like that, and be sleepy? Hey, I'm telling you, you might fall asleep while I'm preaching, but I'm telling you, if Moses and Elijah appear, my clothes all go white and my face starts to shine and you're still asleep, I've got worries for you, man. You've got a problem. You've got a real problem at some point. And they were, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. It was a glory they saw externally happening beyond them. And you'll see why that's important in a minute. And as the men, and then they began to experience something. It was a powerful moment. And he said, as the men were... Leaving, Peter said, that means they were sort of disappearing away, uh, that is Moses and Elijah, and then they were going to sense the presence of God powerfully themselves. And uh, Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. We're enjoying this. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then it says in the Bible, he does not know what he was saying. And because there, is, there are people over time who've always wanted to experience the glory of God. And there are three areas of the manifestation of the glory of God I'll come to in a moment before I actually get into the word that I've really got. We only need to understand these three areas in a moment. So first of all, they were seeing it from a distance. They were witnessing something that wasn't happening to them. And you can be in church like that. Somebody gives a testimony. They get up and say, you know, I was really in need this week. I couldn't pay the electricity bill. And then I was praying, and the next day somebody uh, must have put an envelope through my door, and all my problems were solved. And you're thinking, that's great for them. Why doesn't that ever happen to me? You know, somebody says, I came into a great inheritance. Great for you. Why doesn't it happen to me? 
Somebody says, you know, I just had a great encounter with God in the middle of the night. The whole room, bedroom was full of presence. That's great for you. Why has it happened to me? In other words, the glory of God. You watch the God channel and you see all these amazing things taking place. And you say, why does that happen to me? And so you can see the glory of God when you become awake to what's happening around you. You see it. Then that's stage one. Stage two is you feel it. And Peter began to feel this. We've never been in a meeting like this before. We've never been in a moment like this before. Let's build three booths, three shelters, three tabernacles, it says in one part of the Bible. It's like three cubicles. And uh, one, Moses will always be there. Jesus can be represented there. And if they'd have done that, it'd be like a shrine. We'd be going out there today to see the shrine where something happened 2,000 years ago. And that's one of the problems about seeing the glory of God in history or even in the Bible because it happened somewhere else for somebody else at a different time. Peter was saying, this is happening for me now and I never want to leave this moment. Because when you feel the presence of God, you encounter it, you never want to leave there. But he didn't know what he was saying. It was not a good move because he was wanting to set up a shrine where Jesus knew that at the foot of that mountain, there was a, you'll read it later, was a demon-possessed boy. And that demon-possessed boy needed the glory of God in his life more than they needed it at the top of the mountain. How many people know, however good the presence of God is in church on a Sunday morning, there's a world out there that needs the glory of God. And for me just to build a booth and say, this is my blessing, the world revolves around me, you know, as long as I get blessed, it's all good. Um, You see, there's nothing wrong in experience seeing the glory of God in others. There's nothing wrong in experiencing it for ourselves. But there has to come a place from a, a, a revelation to an experience, but then to a transmission. Because God has called, I think you said something earlier, David, about that, that what we hear this morning, you didn't know I'm preaching on, of course, what we hear this morning actually takes us out to do something with what we have received. And so... God says, if we, Jesus said, if we just can stay here, just experiencing this forever or for a long time, that boy down the bottom of the mountain is never going to receive the glory of God and his life's not going to change. And church is not just to be, you know, church is not, and it shouldn't be this year. And, and our, our general superintendent shared this earlier, that it's, part, it's to do with meeting people's needs through the power of the Holy Spirit, planting churches, expansion. In other words, taking what we've got from where we are. In fact, someone asked me some years ago what I believe the definition of spiritual church was. And a spiritual church is taking the glory from where it is to where it isn't. Okay. Now, there are people in the Old Testament who are in the Bible who really wanted to know the glory of God. And God showed them totally different things. One time Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And the Bible, and I don't ask me how, the, how this works, because the Bible doesn't tell us how it works. But he says, God showed, allowed his goodness to pass before him. Now, how does that happen? How does anybody's goodness pass before you? You know, I can see, I can see a car passing before me, something tangible. But how does, well, I don't know. But God somehow reveal the character of himself to Moses. And Moses says, wow, that is amazing. I've just seen your character. I've just seen your goodness. That's amazing. And he says, I've received the glory of God. Sometime later, 700 years later, David the psalmist said, I'd love to see your glory. And God says, come out. It's a nighttime when it happened. And God took him outside and he showed him the stars of the heavens. And in Psalm 19 verse 1, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
And so it's not just the goodness of God which shows His glory, but God's creation shows His glory. He's a majestic God. And then you go 700 years further on, and you come to the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, and then the death and the resurrection and the, uh, and the um, uh, ascension, and then miracles began to take place, and things start to take place in the life of the church. And John, the apostle, begins to write about the things that Jesus did. And when he talks about his first miracle, he says, which was turning water into wine, as you know, he said, he thus revealed his glory. So people, 700 years apart, and in one case, 1,400 years apart, they all ask the same question. 1,400 years before Christ was Moses, about 700 years before Christ, uh, David, and then, of course, just at the time of Christ, they all wanted to see God's glory, and they saw three separate things. But then the really amazing thing, the really amazing thing is this, that a week before Jesus died, because you remember what had happened, and we remembered it at, at the, um, I'm going to say at Christmas, because I thought that was a manger for a moment, and it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a basket, I thought we left a manger there. Um, so, at Christmas, at Christmas time, you know, God comes into our world, and, you know, we we celebrate the, the, the coming of Jesus into our world and so forth. And, and so um, they could say, we want to meet Jesus. Somebody says, Can, where is Jesus? Like the Greeks when they came to meet Jesus and they said, uh, I think it was Andrew, wasn't it, who says, here, here he is, Jesus, meet the Greeks. And you could actually physically meet the Son of God. But a week before Jesus died, See, Jesus, when he came into, this is what I was going to say earlier, when Jesus came into Bethlehem um, that we've just celebrated, he laid aside his glory, the Bible says. And uh, the carol says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. It was like a veil of a body. If anybody had seen the glory of God in Jesus as a baby, they would have dropped down dead because it was so powerful. So it's like a transformer. Jesus in human form was like a a transformer stepping down the voltage of heaven to a a, a state where people could cope with it without dying. Because when Moses experienced the glory of God in, uh, in, in the mountain when he received the law, his face shone so much that, remember this, it happened again here in this story, Jesus' face shone. Mo, this, um, Moses' face shone and he had to put a veil over it because people couldn't cope with it. The power of God upon him was so strong. But then Jesus says, in John 17, verse 5, look, he says, now, Father, I'm going back to, to I want to receive back the glory that I laid aside for a while. I'm finishing my work now. And he says, the glory that you have given me, I've given them. And so now, disciples, it's your turn to display the glory of God. So those three areas, the world is waiting for the church in 2018 to hear, see the goodness of God in our lives, in church life. He's waiting to see the miraculous power of God, to become aware of the awesomeness of God. All those three revelations of the glory of God, the world now waits. And, you know, if the church is going to just live in its little Sunday booths, look, this is a lovely booth, isn't it, to be in, a building, a structure where we experience the glory of God. Nothing wrong in that, of course, it's a lovely building. But the point is, if we say, this is where I, um, this is where I experience the glory of God on my Sundays, but Monday to Saturday, I really live mostly like, non-Christians. 
when they worry, I worry. Nothing's ever really any different. But I'll come back and I'll get my glory in the booth, which is my church. You're following what I'm saying? If the world is going to encounter God, he's got to see something happening in our life. And sometimes tough stuff is happening in our life, and I'm going to come to that. You know, it's very easy when you're an itinerant preacher, like I've been for many, many years, going from a different place, you know, each week and so forth. I've done that for many years. I've all, I promised God when I started that a long, long time ago, I'm going to stop being a pastor of a local, local church, that I would preach like a pastor, not like a visitor. Because a pastor, when this man says something on a Sunday morning, if it doesn't happen and he prophesies, he's accountable next Sunday to you. Say, hey, that never happened, pastor. Me, you don't know where I am, do you? <laughs> I'm away, I can tell you anything. Shoot off. And, I, and, and so I, I, I made a commitment. I said, Lord, I am going to preach like a pastor that I will be accountable to what I ever say. And so people who just, you know, they, some preachers, they visit, not your pastor wouldn't do this, but some visiting speakers have had them in my church. They blow in, they blow up, and then they blow out. <laughs> and they make all these amazing promises, but you can't catch them because none of them came, you know. It was just, they said it was faith building. But we live in a world where there are challenges, amen? amen. We, we live in a world where there are financial constraints over our lives. Amen. We live in a world where people have been hurt and abused mentally, physically, sexual, lots of ways. Amen. We live in that real world, and God knows that that world, that the glory of God has got to work in the pain as well as the blessing. Amen. And so I'm going to be honest with you, friends. Some of us will have an amazing 2018 some of us will have an amazing 2018, but there's been a bit of pain with it. Because that's life. That happens. So then how do I live in an atmosphere and climate of God's blessing when I know those things are going to take place? You know, people, we Pentecostals, we talk about the anointing, the anointing. And, um, you know, we, we talk about it, um, or that preacher preached today on TV or in church, he had a great anointing. Or wasn't the singing great, there was a great anointing on the worship. And so the word anointing, that means the special presence of God coming from out there onto us, like it did in the Old Testament, that comes from out there onto us, uh, and, but it comes onto special people. The preachers, people who are under spotlights, people who are behind microphones, those are the ones who get the anointing. And that's picked up from a misunderstanding of the anointing, particularly from the Old Testament when it was priests and kings who were anointed with oil, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So the anointing from oil is for, and the anointing, are you following me? The work of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way is for special people who are behind microphones on the spotlights and have got positions. That isn't true in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon Saul and he prophesied, but then he left him. But when, in the day of Pentecost, when the church begins, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came in to dwell within us, in every believer. And, he, and, and Jesus said, I'm going to leave you the Spirit. I will never leave you or forsake you. So, so the anointing was within us. And so this external anointing stuff, like bring the anointing on us, or he or she's got the anointing, it's not a New Testament principle. In fact, the word anointing, apart from one illustration of, in James about being anointed with oil, but the word anointing is only mentioned, can you believe this, once in the entire New Testament. 
And when it's mentioned in the first epistle of John, it says this, the anointing abides on you. The, the anointing rests on you. So if you're a Christian this morning, if you're, if you're saved, not even before you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit anointing in your life now. Amen. You've already got it. You don't have to pray for it to come from out there onto here. You've got it. You've got to release it in your life. You see, it's a case of it's there. The anointing rests on you. The anointing abides on you. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. And so you say, well, John, if that, Pastor John, if that's true, and the anointing abides, why don't I live in power? Why do I struggle so much? Why do I go through so much difficulty in my life? I, I just, I, I, you know, <laughs> it's funny, but when you say this, I'm going to say, I can't wait till the end of my message. You probably say, I can't wait till the end of your message either. <laughs> but I can't wait till the bit at the end where I actually pray anointing to re- be released over your life for this year. Right? Something will happen over your life when that happens. And so I'm looking forward to that in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes or something like that. But when we get to this point, I really want to get to there. But, but I have to explain the basis how we can receive it from faith. Let's go back to what we're saying. And so then preacher, someone says, I go through struggles. I've got through, gone through a lot of pain. You wouldn't be preaching as positive this if you lived in my situation. You went through my hurt. You've got my history. So how can you dare say to me that I have the, this anointing of God in my life, the power of God in my life, that how can I have that? Now, I've moved away from this message to a message I preached in Sunderland a couple of weeks ago at a big conference there, and I just want to mention this little point there. People think when they talk about the Holy Spirit, there are different octanes, strengths of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what I mean by that. You know, I've got a chainsaw for... Um, in, in my garden that I use in my, on the trees in my garden. Uh, and I put a kind of um, combination of oil and fuel in that. It works great for the chainsaw, but if you put that in my car, it's not going to work. <laughs> what works in your car will not work in a light aircraft. What works in a light aircraft will not work in a supersonic jet. What works in a supersonic jet will not work in, um, you know, something that's going to reach the moon. It's, it's a different octane for a different situation. And we tend, as Christians, to believe that there's one-star Christians, which we most believe we are, two-star Christians, three-star Christians, and then when really big, important women and men of God, they're five-star Christians because they've got five-star Holy Spirit. <laughs> Wait for this, Romans eight eleven. Most powerful thing you will hear, you've heard on this subject this year, because this is the first meeting, so it can't be any more powerful than that. <laughs> Romans eight eleven. listen, if the same spirit, someone say same spirit. same spirit. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, not comes on you on a good day and leaves you on a bad day, right? Okay? Not comes on you when you're in a big meeting and not, is not there in a small meeting. Not comes on you when everything's going well but leaves you when everything's going bad. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body. So the same octane, you don't have chainsaw Christians and supersonic jet Christians. You have ordinary people, someone say ordinary people, like you and me, but with a supernatural God within us. But then someone's still saying, well, why doesn't that happen for me on Mondays? And I'll tell you why it doesn't happen for us on Mondays sometimes. 
We need to go back in our mind. I'm just going to, don't need to turn to it for the sake of time, but I'm going to be going into, I'm, go, I'm going to be mentioning, so anybody's taking a note can say, well, I'll look that up, you know, later on. It is to do with that pa- passage in Genesis 26, 18, where Isaac, who was obviously the son of Abraham, um, Abraham was now dead, his father was dead, and all of that's gone, and uh, he, he now was facing a lot of oppression of the enemy. The enemy was having a go at him, uh, that was in the form of the Philistines, there was big battles, he was living in a very dry spe- place, and if you're living in a dry place in the natural, you need refreshing. If you're living in a dry place in the spirit, you need refreshing, amen? Yeah. So he sees over there, him somebody saw some wells. And he said, let's go over, that's, that's a well that my, my, my father dug that well in his day. His men did. Let's go and get some water from it. So one of his guys would have gone over and looked in it, and they said, sorry, there's no water here. He said, what's happened? The Philistines, knowing that we need refreshing, shall we say, the enemy, our enemy, knowing we need refreshing, has stopped up the well with boulders. So there is no water here. The idea being, go and find another well or dig another well. But you know what he did? Listen to what it says. This is powerful. This is the reason why the power that was within us, we don't feel its effect upon us sometimes. This is the reason. It says this in Genesis 26, 18. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the enemy, the Philistines, had stopped up. And I look, some of you look at me saying, don't, still don't see where you're going. I'm going to show you where I'm going. They would have said, there is no water in this well. The enemy has stopped it up. Here's the truth. There is as much water in a well that's been stopped up as there is in a well that hasn't been stopped up. The only difference is the boulders are stopping what is there getting through to where you are. So when I take out the obstacles that are thrown in the well, when they're taken out, what will happen is the well contains that water. Or we, that's another symbol of the Holy Spirit. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So if I can remove the rubble the devil's put in my life in 2017 and 16 and 15, if I can remove that rubble, then I'm going to allow what that which is already in me, someone say already in me, already that's in already me. in me, to make itself known in my Mondays to Saturdays as well as my Sundays. Amen. So what does that rubble look like? So when the servants came over and said, yeah, yeah, we said there was no water, but actually you're telling us that there is water there, it's just it can't get through. And all we've got to do is remove the barriers that the devil has put in there, in the past, and it may have been 17 for you, it could have been 16 for you, it could have been, it could have been 10 years ago. It could be when you... Let's give these bits of rubble a name. We take out one stone, let's call it hurt. Somebody has hurt you, somebody who you trusted has let you down, somebody who you confided in has broken a confidence. Someone has criticized you when you didn't resi- need that criticism in your life. And they've walked away with their words out of their mouth, but it's got in your well. Are you following me? And when you begin to believe, you remember the accusing words of that person. 
I tell you, 2018 is the time to take that rubble out of the well. Misunderstanding, judgmentalism, stuff the devil has put in our life through people. People do it. You know, the devil doesn't come with horns and a fork. He uses people to spoil our lives. He uses people to undermine us. What they did is they went through that well and one stone after another. And when they start, the servants must have thought, unstopping his well, it's a waste of time. I said there was no water in here. I took out five stones and there's still no water here. But then they start to take one and something begins to bubble. Hey, there is water there. It's coming through. It's only a little bit of a trickle. It's only a little bit of a trickle. And then they took some more boulders out and wow. And before you know, but they took the less of the rubbish that's been dumped in that well. It has got as much water as any unstopped well. See, here's a moment this morning. Here's a moment this morning. You say, what has the devil dumped in my life? It's not always people. It's sometimes, mostly people that do it. Sometimes it's our own lack of belief in what God can do in our life. Sometimes we don't. It's not people that put us down. We put ourselves down. That when Moses himself, when he was challenged to, to go and lead two million people out of slavery, he said, Lord, I'm not eloquent. At that moment, some rubble went in as well. My, 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 my brother Aaron is far more eloquent. Use him instead of me. God says, look, let me, you know, what's important is not you, is not the well. What is important is the water in the well. It is my anointing that abides in you. So what needs to be removed there? So now we're getting to see what... Which, now I want to come into that part in the second and final part of the message is, what do I mean when I say, how does this bring me into a new climate? Well, when they began to unstop that well, they'd been in a climate of dryness. They were now living in a climate of refreshing. They were coming into a new season. The season of obstacles was being removed, but it takes... an. God did not send an angel to remove that rubble. They had to remove the rubble themselves. I'm going to show you practically in a moment or two exactly how that happens, but we're going to move on for a moment. You see, if I want a new season in my life geographically, I want new weather in my life in the natural, this is what I do, or you can do. We will say it's cold here in... um, in Harlow, where we live, but it's lovely in Barbados. Amen. A few hands being raised already, and this is just to go to Barbados. So what we're going to do is we get in a plane, and we go to a different climate geographically. And we will get sunshine in Barbados that we don't get in here. But in the realm of the soul and the spirit, it doesn't work like that. You can't move. Some people say, well, I, I don't really like this church much. I think I'll go to another church. Moving churches does not make any difference. Do you know why? Because you take yourself with you. <laughs> Hello? Amen. <laughs> take yourself with you. Amen. Right? So if you've got a bad marriage in Harlow... I've got to tell you, spend thousands and go on a plane to Honolulu, but when you get to Honolulu, you've still got a bad marriage. Because you take your weather with you. I cannot go into a new climate by geographically moving churches, moving situations. I, some, my weather, I carry, 
In fact, this is the most important thing we're going to hear today, perhaps. We carry our weather with us. Now, this is important because when you see, because I'm talking real down-to-earth stuff here today. I'm not talking, you know, let's all trust Jesus that every day to, in, in 2018 will be perfect. I'll never have any pain, never have any worries, never have any conflict. Well, no, no, I'm not saying that. You see, here's an illustration. I'm going to give you two or three, just mention them, of what I mean by taking your weather with you. What's the most popular psalm in the whole of the Bible, the most well-known? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, isn't it? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I've got to tell you, that is pretty tough. We're not talking about, oh, I've got a bit of a cold this morning. This is the valley of the shadow of death. This is bad climate around us. Bad climate. I'm going through something that I'm so low down. That's, when you're in a valley, you're low down. I'm so depressed, I'm so down, I'm so worried, I, I just don't know what... But you see, the thing is, weather is out there, or so, shall I say, circumstances is out there, but our spiritual weather is in here. So listen to what the rest of the, of the verse says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is my weather. God is my weather. God is my weather. So because God is within us, because we, it's not, of course, here remember what I'm saying. It's not just good enough that he is in us. It is that we allow him to, him by his spirit to be released. Remember about the well. The water was in the well, but it never got through. The fact that God is in me does not mean that I live in victory. I've got to allow myself to remove the obstacles to my victory, to remove the obstacles to things, things that God will never do for you in 2018 what you can do for yourself. Hello? Never. I'm, I'm tempted, I'm looking at the time, and I'm tempted to go off on a little bit of an illustration here but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I've started 2018 by breaking a rule of going off on a bypath meadow. I've given into temptation and it's only Sunday. I'm going to tell you this story. The greatest prayer meeting I was ever in my life was not in a big hall of 1,000, 2,000. It was in my own church in Cheltenham around about 1982. It was an ordinary meeting. Don't know how many people were there in this prayer meeting, just the ordinary number of people we'd have in a prayer meeting. And I used to encourage people who'd never preached before to preach for 10 minutes before we prayed. It would give them a bit of encouragement to get to preach and share. It's not a big deal. It's not a huge number of people. And um, it, many people who are preaching in that church today started off in those days. And they called it the 10-minute word. And I asked a, a young man, as it happened, a man called Ken, I can remember him now. And I said, Ken, I want you to give the 10 minute word. So I've never preached before. I said, just speak for 10 minutes. Speak for 10 minutes. And I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give the prayer request out. Then you preach for 10 minutes and we're all going to pray. It's not a big deal. 10 minutes. You know, have a go. See, sometimes we've got to have a go, haven't we? Yeah. Not wait till everything's right. Have a go. Have a go. He said, I'll do it, Pastor. So he gets up. And I can remember the moment he, he said his, he gave his title. His title in the prayer meeting was, I nearly died when I heard it, to be honest. 
I thought, I've made a mistake here. <laughs> I've made a mistake. My title today for 10 minutes is How to Answer Your Own Prayers. I thought, well, that's a bit of a problem now because we've got no more prayer meetings left. <laughs> if we, can, we don't even need God. But then he did something totally amazing. First time as far as I know that he ever preached. What he did was this. We just on the prayer list was this. I can remember Ghana, our mission field in Ghana needed a lot of medicine at the time. And we were praying that uh, we wanted to pray that God would provide all the medical stuff that was needed for some medical place we had out there in Accra or somewhere. And uh, the idea was that we pray that God would provide their need in Ghana. And that, I just brought the request out. So he said, how about if we don't pray? How about if we take an offering up? Hello? You don't take up offerings in prayer meetings. So the treasurer came in with a smile on his face because he mentioned offering. <laughs> and we take up this amazing offering for Ghana. So he said, well, no point in praying for that now because we've all done what we can. And then we had, we had a, some people out. It's, in fact, it's still there, a disabled centre called the Star Centre. And uh, there were people who had been brought in to our church on a Sunday, but many poor wanted to come. We haven't got any transport. Let's pray that God provides transport. He said, don't let's pray. How many people pass there? He said, how many seats have we got in your car? Three, and you pass there. That's three done. How many do we need, Pastor? Twelve. Right. <laughs> he went through the whole thing. We, by the time he finished, we had nothing left to pray for. <laughs> We'd answered our own prayers. God will not send an angel to take the rubble out of your well. God says, I have to make a decision in my life. I have to do if it. If, that, if, that hurt, if I was hurt by that person who put that rubble in my well, it is my forgiveness of them, are you following me, that gives me the strength to remove that obstacle. Now they have no power over me. Me has to use the forgiveness, an angel doesn't do it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Paul and Silas in the prison. This is what I mean by taking your weather with you. Paul and Silas in the prison in Acts 16. They were stripped, beaten with rods and flogged. They were then taken into the inner prison. In the inner prison, they put what they did, they put your feet in stocks and then that forced you to lay on your back. I don't want to go into details here, but there were no sanitary provisions in prisons in those days. And your backs are like a ploughed field. You're beaten up, you're in pain, no painkillers, and the stocks force your back to lay in that filth. People will be screaming and wailing, all that kind of stuff. But at midnight, the worst time as they're laying in this mess, do you know what happens? The Bible says they start to sing and worship and praise. Because the circumstance was bad, but they were taking their weather with them. Something had been released. All, oh, why has God allowed that to happen to me? That's a loaded. We all do that. Come on, let's be honest. God, why do you allow me to go through this? That rubble of self-pity, we have to remove that out. And they said they have a thousand things to complain of. We're preaching the gospel and now we're in prison. We're doing our best for Jesus and trying to plant churches. And now we're in this mess and we've been forced into this filth. So now let's get our eyes on Jesus for a moment. Let's get our eyes on and began to praise and began to worship. You see, that happened just when I was here last year. I preached on being positioned for a new year. I told the story of Lydia. After the great victory of the first convert in Europe, that's what happened to them. They said, the devil is not going to get me down. 
I see praise in a prison was as rare as pork in a synagogue. It just didn't happen. <laughs> just didn't happen. And the Bible says quite a strange thing. It says this. When the prisoners heard the worship, they listened. Do you know, they may have wanted to give their testimony many times while in the prison. Nobody listened. But when they saw Christians going through tough times, are you following me? In a way that they couldn't go, go through with the resources that they've got, they say, wow, they've got something I haven't got. And all of a sudden, they started listening. The people, I live in a village. My wife and I live in a village. You know, the people I pray for every single day. I did this morning early. I left at half five this morning. I'd already prayed for unsaved people by name in my village, in our village. But you see, when they see my wife going through breast cancer and trusting God and not getting herself into a state a couple of years ago, and say, well, it's a win-win situation. If I'm healed, then I give God glory. If I'm not healed, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to see my husband again one day anyway. You see, it's just so countercultural. It opens up conversations with people who won't listen to them and we give them gospel tracts. See, why do we go through tough times in our life? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 gives us the answer. Paul says, and this is, you say, if I was more spiritual, I wouldn't have these problems. If I was more spiritual, I wouldn't have these temptations. If I was more spiritual, let me tell you, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, I'm feeling so rough. He wrote most of the epistles of the New Testament, didn't he? I feel so rough this year. I feel pressed out of measure, above strength. If I feel as if I'm nearly dead. That's not a statement of faith, is it? It's called telling the truth. Hello? Read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I'm pressed out of measure above strength. Remember plasticine when you were a kid? Piece of plasticine. You make it into a square that size and it covers that size. You make it into a square that size, it starts to break up. He says, that's how I feel. I've just, I've just, it's too much for me. I'm breaking up. I'm pressed out of measure. That's what it means. I'm trying to, I've got too little resource to go too far. And then he says these amazing words, but the God of all comfort comforts me in my tribulations so that I can be a comfort and give the comfort to others that I've received from God. Imagine everybody's left this room later on in a few minutes and there's only me left and pastor's out there somewhere, just me here. And there's one other person. He's a man who's been saved for six months. He's been an alcoholic before he was a Christian. He lost his wife and kids. He's lost everything he owns. He was in a total and absolute mess. He's got nothing really now, but he's now saved. He's, Jesus has changed his life. And somebody knocks the door. And one of you is on the door, and they said, this guy says, I'm in a real mess today. Is the meeting over? I'm sorry, it's over. It's finished. He said, there's only, can I, I need to speak to someone urgently. He said, well, there's two people in there. Which one do you want to speak to? And so he said, well, what, wh- who's there? He said, well, the man who is there has been a pastor for 45 years. Um, his father and his grandfather were ministers. Um, he's been the general superintendent of Eden for 16 years. Uh, yeah, who else is there? Well, there's a man that he's never been a pastor, but six months ago his life was in a wreck through alcoholism. He lost his wife and his kids. 
But now Jesus come into his life and changed him. That man is an alcoholic whose life's been wrecked. Who does that man want to see if he's got to choose between one or two? He doesn't want to see me. He couldn't care less about titles. He couldn't care less about what I've done and what I haven't done. You know, he couldn't care less about how long I've been a Christian or what. I, it's irrelevant. He says, I want to speak to the man who's gone through what I've gone through and has come out with the power of Christ transforming him because I need that. You see, I can comfort him. I can say the words. There's, there's errors. I mean, if you come out for a healing line later on and you've got arthritis, I'll pray, dear God, I want you to be free and free from arthritis. If you come out and say, I've got kidney stones, I'm going to tell you. I I'll forget everybody else and pray for you. Why? Because I know what kidney stones is like. Are you following me? I can only comfort people, really, with the comfort I've received through the bad stuff I went through. That's why we go through bad stuff, so that we can come out victorious and make a difference in our world. So this business about, unless I've got everything going right in my life, I can't be used by God. Our problems and our weaknesses actually qualify us rather than disqualify us from being used of God in 2018. Because that change, that transformation, it's taking our weather with us within our life. And the Bible says there was an earthquake in the prison. Why? Because the, it was, the, the devil was trying to destroy these men through discouragement. There was this huge spiritual force. But then there was another spiritual force of praise and worship because they were carrying their weather. And those two forces came together and smashed in the air uh, spiritually over their heads. And an earthquake took place. The earth couldn't stand it. You see, it's not about making cheesy faith statements when stuff's going wrong. Walking around with a frozen smile like a Cheshire cat struck by lightning, <laughs> saying, you know, you're going through hell in your life. Oh, never mind, Jesus is wonderful. I've got to say this, haven't I? You read the Psalms, David is so angry so often with God, isn't he? God, why have you allowed this rubbish to happen in my life? You know, and God doesn't tell him off for being truthful. But then he says, yeah, this is where you're. You need comfort. You need input. You need strength. You need a new climate. I want to put a new weather in your life. Anybody up for a new climate in our life right now? Amen. I want some more weather. I want a change in weather in my life. I want us to close in a moment by me reading this over your life in Isaiah. But right now, I want you to turn for a second or two, for five minutes to the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. If you haven't got your Bible with you, don't worry. If you just want to listen, that's cool. Um, that's fine. Song of Solomon, preachers don't preach from Song of Solomon because it's, you know, it's like triple X, isn't it, in part places. Very difficult to even read it publicly because it's about intimacy. And it's about the relationship of the bride to the bridegroom, Christ to his church, which is an intimate. It's not just a theological relationship. It's, a, it's not just a mental, cranial, it is intimate relationship of Christ and the church and the bridegroom in that story of Song of Solomon is Jesus and the bride is you and me, it's the church. And in Song of Solomon chapter 2, we're going to, I'm going to read about a new season I'm, uh, and, and it says, look here my lover, this is Christ coming, here he comes leaping across the mountains. That's not a picture you get of Jesus leaping, is it? There are only two pictures in the Bible of God the Father ever running. He ne obviously, because he wasn't in physical form, he didn't, couldn't run in that sense. But the Bible gives two f pictures of him running. Um, and there's a picture of Christ running. This is a picture of Christ running. Um, Jesus never ran. Do you know why Jesus, Jesus slept? He was tired. He ate. He drank. 
Jesus never ran. Do you know why Jesus never ran? Because Jesus is never late. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus need to run. There are two times when God runs, either in the person of the Father or the Son, in allegory in the Bible. One is in the story of the prodigal son, was when he saw somebody who'd been away from the Father coming back. He loved the backslider so much. He didn't just say, come back and say you're sorry, and I'll give you some lines to do. He says, when he saw the backslider coming back, I don't know where you've been in 2017. He said, I've been in church. Listen, I was a teenager in my father's church. I was geographically in church, but my head was everywhere else. You can be geographically in church and your heart can be away from God. And I was only there because my dad made me go to church. That was a bad time for me. It's some, I mean, I tell the story in the book. I tell, you, I tell the story. You know, I'd been called to the ministry when I was that young, but in my teenage years, I was struggling. I still was coming to church because my father insisted that the family go to church. And so I did. I was in my father's house and I went. But, you know, I was miserable coming to church. I hate, not hated Sundays. I didn't like Sundays. And I was sitting on the end of the seat there where that sister in that lovely dressing sitting there and I was sitting there and my father walked to come to the pulpit to preach and I'm a teenager and he stops at me and he remembers that all those years ago I had that vision and that stuff you know we never talked about it in the house but he knew that in those days I would be called to be a pastor and he's walking to the pulpit to put, to start the message meeting and he taps me on the shoulder and he says John can I say something to you I said what dad he said I don't know if you'll ever be a pastor or not but I hope that when you're a pastor, nobody sits in your church looking as miserable as you do looking in mine. <laughs> you see, do I, do I, do I, w- was I glad I went through that struggle time? No, I wish I hadn't gone through it. But in one way I do, do you know why? Because I can speak with some credibility when I talk about struggles spiritually. So God runs to the backslider and he runs to the bride who is pure, which is his story, or to his bride. So he run, in other words, the father runs. If you're away and you want to come back today, make a reconsecration at the beginning of this year, God runs to you. But I, I, I want to finish in two or three minutes, so I'm just going to read this to you, and I'm just going to give you the headings. I'm not going to preach it, I'm just going to give you there are seven steps to a new season. I'm just going to give you them. If you're taking notes, I don't know whether you record this, Pastor, or not, but you can listen. I'd, I'd invite you to listen to it and pray it through on your own. Okay? The first declaration is this. It's, it's chapter 2, verse 11, verse 1. See the winter is past. It's a declaration. Right now, we need to declare in our life, whatever season we've gone through in 217, Father, I'm believing for a new season. Yes. Amen. Amen. I'm believing from this day, whatever the going on out there, there's going to be new weather inside me. Number two, flowers appear on the earth. That's like the crocus. The crocus in the winter, I can't get a spade or a fork into the ground in, our, in our, my garden when it's cold. It's like concrete. But then one day I look out the window, there's a little flower there, it's a crocus. A child could just flick it and, and destroy it. How did that little frail thing get up in the ground that I couldn't get a steel fork into? It is because the ground has become soft. Friends, if you want to get into a new season, God wants to soften our hearts. 
And you read there, well, it's the winter rains that made the ground soft for a new growth to come through. I want to ask a question for honest. I believe you're honest this morning. I'm talking to honest people. How many, how many of us pray more when we're in trouble? And that's why God allows us to have a bit of trouble. Because sometimes the only time God can get us to our knees is to bring us to our knees sometimes. Bad stuff doesn't come from God. But God allows Paul to go through that struggle so that he can be a comfort to other people. You following me? So fruitfulness comes out of our pain. Flowers appear on the earth. Number two, the season of singing has come. The season of singing has come. So declaration is important. Remember the declaration in the prison cell? I was once, when I used to travel a lot um, up north and south, I still do it now, but um, when I was a GS, um, instead of going to a hotel, I would stay at the Bible College in, Mul- in, in not Malvern, in uh, Nantwich. They had a little room for me, and it was there whether the students were or not. On this occasion, there was no students there, and I took a key, went in the room, just saved going to a hotel. I could stay in this little room. Just about to get ready for bed, and I got this terrible news on my phone, my mobile. I don't want to tell you what the news is. It's personal, but it's bad. It's not going to change overnight. It's not going to change for a while. In fact, I don't even know it's ever going to change. And I said, I'm never going to sleep tonight having heard this. This is the end of me sleeping tonight, which is bad. So I sort of got into bed, tossing and turning. And I felt the Lord say to me, why don't you do what you tell other people to do? It's awful rude of the Lord saying that in the middle of the night, telling me to pray. Virtually, he's telling the preacher to practice what he preaches. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, well, you talk about in the... I wasn't preaching this message, of course, in those days. But I said, why don't you actually preach? Why don't you praise? Where's the weather in you? Words we'd say in this context. Where's your climate? So you want to get out of bed now and start worshipping. Remember, there's nobody else around, so I can... So I get out of bed and I start to worship. I say, oh, thank you, God, you're a great God. I'm not exactly a man of faith at that point, am I? I'm just saying the words and then something. It's like that well. Something through all this bad, bad... I'm telling you, it was bad news. All this stuff begins to bubble through my spirit as I worshipped and praised. The rubble was still there, because that's the problem, if you like. It wasn't rubble that people had put in there, but the difficulty. And I began to praise, and I began to worship. And before long, I was speaking in tongues. And I was, you know, good job nobody was around. I was on my own, because I was shouting, speaking in tongues, and praising God. You see, my situation had not changed, but God had changed the weather in me. God had changed the weather in me. Flowers appear. The time of singing has come. Remember, doves appear. He says, doves appear. In the time of a new season, if you're out of fellowship with somebody in the church and you don't get on with them, or anybody at work, don't expect God to bless you until you sort it out. Yeah. See, when I drive here today, I notice it today, I was coming down the road, I see it every time I travel, roadkill. I see magpies and crows on roadkill. You never find a dove on roadkill. And you never see the anointing of God on a church that's got division in it. The disadvantage in being a visiting speaker, disadvantage is some of you don't know me, some of you can only remember me a bit from last time. You love and know your pastor and his wife, that's fine. It's a disadvantage everywhere I go. I'm in Redditch next week. Again, 
you know, I've been there before, but they don't really know me well. But the great advantage is this, of being a visiting speaker, is that I don't know you and you don't know me. <laughs> so if I'm talking to you about being out of relationship with somebody, I don't know that because I don't know you. But get it right. Even if you aren't responsible for the problem, go and say, can we sort this out? Because I want the duff to be in my life. I want, the, I, I want peace in my spirit. I want to be in a new season. And while I've got, we've got this stuff going on between us, we cannot expect to live in a new season when I've got this resentment in my heart. The fig tree forms its early fruit. That is to do with the promise of God over a life. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. That's number six. That has to do with the atmosphere and the presence of God like we have when we're worshipping. And then number seven is actually doing something about what God has said. You remember what I said about doing something? They saw, I'm ending as I began, they saw the glory of God out there. They experienced the glory of God in here. That's where the church often gets to and stays. But the next stage was taking the glory of God from the place of blessing to a dark world that needed it. That's the challenge. And now I want to pray this over your life. Can we all stand together? Because I want to pray blessing over your life. I want to pray blessing you. I could bring individuals out to the front. We could pray. I could anoint you, lay hands upon you. could do all of that. That's, I do that lots of times. But today I want to do it for everybody who will receive it. I'm going to make an appeal. Um, but I'm going to make this appeal. I want us all to be heads, eyes closed. And whether you have your head bowed, doesn't matter. But if you close your eyes a moment. And I want to go back to that part in the message when I said about the well and the anointing abides on you, the refreshing's in you, but it can't get through because people and the devil has dumped stuff in your well. And you say, I recognize stuff that's being dumped in my life. That's why I can't worship like I want to. That's why I can't encounter God in intimacy like I want to. And you know the names. You can see those stones and you know the names on them. And you say, I'm going to make a commitment in faith. If it needs forgiveness, then I use the muscle of forgiveness to remove the boulder of hurt. And all, I'm not going to mention anymore because there's so many different names on different stones. Here's the point. You have seen the things that the, the devil has planted in your life. But from this day, the first Sunday in the new year, Lord, I want this new refreshing to come into my life, overflow my spirit. I want this to be a well that is sweet. And I'm going to remove those boulders in Jesus' name. If you've heard that from God, raise your hand right now where you are. Goodness me, wow, a lot of honest people in this house. A lot of honest people. Please take your hands down. I'm going to pray for you in a second. All right. Well, let me pray for you now, in fact. Father, thank you for honesty. You, we can't hide anything from you, Lord. You know where we are. <coughs> thank you, Lord. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us now. There's not a one-star or five-star Christian. It's a five-star Holy Spirit in every one of us. Same spirit that's in... Our life now is in Smith Wigglesworth. It was in the Apostle Paul. It was in any man or woman who's been powerfully used by God. It's the same one in my life now and your life now, friends. Now I'm going to say this over your life, and I'm reading right from the Bible. This is over you as an individual, you and your family, and pastor for you and the church. I read it from Isaiah 35. Don't need to turn it. Keep your eyes closed if you want. You can open your eyes. It makes no difference now. I want you to receive this. Pentecostals are very good at declaration and, and proclamation, but we're not always as good as we should be on receiving. We've all got to be saying something, haven't we, or talking or singing. <coughs> I want you to be in receiving mode now. 
I want you to be in receiving mode. Stop giving and now receive. The desert and the parched land will be glad. This is your, this is your inheritance for 2018. The wilderness will rejoice. If you're in a wilderness, it's going to rejoice. And blossom like the crocus. Remember what we said about the crocus? It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They, the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. I've not been able to do what I wanted to do in 2017, but it's going to be different in 2018. Father, right now, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. That means I can't stand this anymore. But now God's going to give you the ability to stand in testimony and in fortitude and tenacity. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open. I'm going to get a fresh revelation, in other words. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush in the wilderness. Water will gush, shall we say, from the well that was stopped up. There will be streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Those that the Lord has rescued and will return. They will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy. Not joy for a moment. Everlasting joy will crown their heads and gladness and joy will overtake them. In other words, God says you won't have to run after blessing. Blessing will run after you. Wow, isn't that awesome? Hey, Lord, I'm always running after your blessing. I'm running after. But your word says that if I just throw myself on you, your blessing will run after me and overtake me. Wow, isn't that awesome? Let's say it together. Blessing is going to run after me. Let the people around us hear it. Blessing is going to run after me. Let the devil hear it. Blessing is going to run after me. Let the Holy Spirit hear it. Blessing is going to run after me. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Father, I thank you for this great people. Thank you for this great church. It's testimony over the years. And you know all that's happened in 2017. You all know everything that will happen in 2018. But Father, your word tells us that we carry our weather with us. We thank you, Lord, in good times we're going to rejoice. In, in tougher times, then the joy of the Lord is still our strength because his weather is within us. If we go through the valley, your rod and staff will guide us. And so, Lord, we begin to give you praise right, way, right now where you are. Just begin to begin to thank God. Begin to thank God. Lord, thank you for what's coming for me this year. Thank you, Lord. This is a change. Of, that's right. Give the Lord a clap offering. Give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you, Father. You've got no bad plans for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I'm your child. You want to bless your children. Lord, as parents want to bless their children, so my Heavenly Father wants to bless me, and I receive his blessing as his daughter, as his son, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's continue to worship God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Over my house, over my family. Whether I'm an old person, whether I'm a young person, whether I'm a man, whether I'm a woman, whether I know my Bible a lot or whether I know my Bible a little. Father, we bless you that you do not have any second best in your kingdom. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in me. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, may the blessing Father and Son and Holy Spirit be over this house and everybody who is within it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Could I ask you? Yes, give the Lord a clap offering. Thank the Lord for his goodness. And all I would ask you that if, um, um, if you haven't ever given your life to Jesus, but let's just stay bowed in prayer a moment. I mean, I may be speaking to 100% Christians here. You say, John, or preacher, whatever you want to call me. <coughs> you know, this is great for believers, but I've never made the step of fully surrendering my life to Jesus. But at the beginning of this new year, I'd love to do that. I don't understand all about the Bible. I really don't understand how it works, but I want to start on a journey while I get to know God personally, and I want that journey to start today. If that's you, just raise your hand where you are. I want to see your hand. You can take it down, and I'll include you in a prayer. Is there anybody here who've never made a decision to follow Christ? You want to do it today? Well, Father, we bless you for everybody here, and we just pray your anointing to that is already within us to abide on us and powerfully be released in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.